right, let me pray for us. Uh, God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this church, and thank you for your word. I pray that you would draw our hearts to, uh, to focus on you this morning. Uh, remove the, the distractions from our minds. Help us to hear your voice, to hear your words. And I pray that our hearts would be lifted up in worship to you, in gratitude and love for you today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, good morning. Good to be with you. If you're visiting, really glad that you're here. We are in Matthew chapter 7. So if you have a Bible, that's where we're going to be. Verses will also be up on the screen. We're, we're uh, coming to the final third of our series in the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm excited for the passage that we're in this morning because we get to read one of the most well-known verses in the Bible. I think possibly the most quoted verse in the Bible, and, you know, in my estimate, probably the most misunderstood and misused verse in the Bible. Like, this, this verse is just abused in ways that, like, it's never meant to be used these ways when, when Jesus speaks it. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if you know this about me, and if you're visiting, you obviously don't, but I was an English major in college. And, and so, yeah, that means I dedicated a sizable portion of my time and my resources, and I even enlisted in the army at a time of war so that I could study a language I grew up speaking. And, uh, you know, John Mulaney joke. Um, because of my educational background in English and just like what English majors are, you know, put through and the things we go through, um, sometimes I think of like these really weird metaphors but they're helpful for me, and so I'm gonna give you guys a weird metaphor this morning, and you tell me later if it was helpful for you or if I wasted my time getting an English degree. Um, imagine this verse, the, the most kind of used and uh, very misused verse. Uh, imagine this verse is a puppy. If this verse were a puppy, there would be one group of dog owners who would be arrested because they neglect it. You know, they tie it up in the yard, they don't bring out food or water, they just pretend it's not there, and then the neighbors have to call, and it's like a whole big thing, um, and they get arrested. And then there'd be another group of dog owners who would be arrested because they abuse this verse, right? Or this puppy, in the metaphor. Or, you know, just being violent towards it, really awful, and, um, you know, I think we can agree both of those scenarios are, are fairly upsetting, um, right? Thank you. Yeah, very upsetting. So don't do it, all right? Don't, don't abuse God's word. Don't neglect it. Ignore it. Pretend it's not there. Don't start being violent towards it to use it in ways that it's not meant to be used. Don't abuse puppies either or anyone. Abuse is bad. Um, anyways, let's get into the text, and you're going to see the verse I'm talking about, and then as we go through the sermon, I think it'll be more clear I hope, like that's my hope, with this metaphor and, and how I find it to be fitting for this. So anyways, Matthew 7, verse 1 says this, judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take out the log of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. 
Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So there's the verse. Judge not. It's not even the full verse. It's just those two words. Those are the ones that are, are famous and used and, and abused. And so let me give you an outline that we're gonna use for, for taking us through and understanding Jesus' teaching here. This is it. Jesus says, don't judge in this certain kind of way, and here's why judging in that certain kind of way is bad. And he says, do judge in this different kind of way, and here's how you judge in the way that you're supposed to. And then, finally, be discerning when you're offering this true good judgment. Like, that's basically it, okay? Don't judge in this way, and here's why it's bad. Do judge in this other way. Here's how you do that. And then, finally, be discerning. So, First, don't judge in this certain kind of way. Uh, Whatever you pronounce in judgment against another person, Jesus wants you to understand that same measure of judgment that you impose on others is now fair to be imposed on yourself. One of the problems that, uh, that we see in this that's just so frustrating is people who will identify a small issue in someone else and they are totally ignorant of their own gigantic issues. And they don't see them, and they can't acknowledge them. What Jesus is prohibiting here is a kind of hypocritical, self-righteous judgment where you, you often find this in people who are highly critical of other people. Like, if you know anyone who's high in criticism, and even if that's true about you, if you're a very critical person, critical of others, this is something that you often find in a highly critical person. Um, The first major mistake, remember the puppy metaphor, that people make with this verse is just neglect. They just ignore it. It's like Jesus never said judge not at all. He said, go, judge, do more of it. Um, if, If this is you, if you're the person who neglects this, and you are full of judgment, and you're full of criticism, everyone who knows you knows it, and none of them like it they don't like it, and it's very clear, and it's very frustrating. Um, if, if this is you, if you're the person who ignores what Jesus says here, and you just, you're, you're the person who you think, like, my mission on earth is to judge, and people look at you, and they know it, and they go, wow, all right, here he is. You know, behold, a pale horse, and its, rider name, its rider's name is, is Chris, Rebecca in Hades follows, like that classic verse from, from Revelation, like, behold, this writer's name was death. Like, people think that about you. The person who ignores this and hypocritically judges others, they, they look at individuals or even, like, groups of people, and they identify, like, a single issue, like a single thought, or belief, or practice that they, they find that's wrong in them, and they, they, they judge that person or that whole group of people on the basis of that thing, uh, you know, through their, their snippy words, or their passive-aggressive comments, or their courageous social media posts, whatever it is, they look down on them, and they, they start feeling like, I'm better than this person, because, or this group of people, because they're failing in this thing, and I'm succeeding in it. 
And so you start to get an inflated sense of self where you're looking down on others. Um, this is the mistake, uh, the, the neglect mistake, that maybe best characterizes the legalistic religious crowd. The, the legalistic religious crowd, they're the, the self-righteous people who depend on their performance as a Christian to feel good about themselves. Like, I have to be a good Christian, I have to look like a good Christian, everyone has to think I'm a good Christian, and as long as I have this image and this perception, then I feel like I can be accepted. Right? That's what their whole kind of faith and life is built on. It's not built on, you know, humbly trusting in the saving work of Christ. And although it's certainly not, it's not only them, like anyone is capable of being this like hypocritical self-righteous judge. Uh, you know, non-religious secular people can be guilty of it as well. My pages are stuck. And so, but I think it's like, it's, it's more characteristic of what you would think of in the legalistic religious person. So like, what'll happen is for the religious person, they'll uh, look down on people who, um, who support or participate in something like, you know, uh, homosexual relationships or actions, and they'll, they'll kind of look down on them as worse sinners than they are because they don't do those things. And they'll, they'll kind of put them in a, their own category that is worse than I am. But then it works the opposite way, too, where the, the non-religious secular person will take people who are not supportive of homosexual relationships or actions, and they'll consider them worse sinners uh, because, you know, they are not as compassionate as I am, and they're not as enlightened and progressive as I am, and so they put them into a separate and distinct category where they are worse people than I am. Self-righteous judgment, it always produces this attitude that you, you get to look down on others, and you get to feel like, I'm better, I'm better off than you are. I'm a better person than you are. And the thing is, like, the non-religious secular person has more of an excuse because they're not Christians, so, like, they're not going to care what Jesus says anyways when he's saying, you know, judge not that you not be judged in this hypocritical manner. Like, they don't have, like, a real good reason to listen to Jesus. The, the religious person does have a reason to listen. They have less of an excuse because Jesus is clearly calling this out and saying, you, you shouldn't be doing, if you're my follower, you shouldn't be doing this. Here's a, a little bit more into uh, why this is such a wrong thing to do, and why Jesus does not want to see it in any of his followers. In James chapter 2, James tells us we can fit ourselves into one of two categories when it comes to our relation to God's law. So God's law where he tells us this is how you should live, this is what you need to do, this is how you know what's good and what's evil. Uh, when it comes to God's law, the standard that he measures humanity against, you can either be a lawkeeper or a lawbreaker. And what the hypocrite does is they take like a single command or a single issue, like the one we just looked at, you know, man shall not lie with man as a woman, or marriage is between one man and one woman, they'll look at that and they'll, they'll take a person who, uh, who doesn't believe the same or act the same as that, and they'll go, well, you're a lawbreaker, but I'm a law keeper, because I'm doing this. And if it's, you know, an especially nasty and cold-hearted uh, legalistic religious person who's doing this, they'll start saying things like, well, you know, God 
God doesn't love you, God hates you because of this, and uh, you, they, they make them feel that they're totally excluded from the community of grace or the possibility of God's grace to come into their lives. But James doesn't let us do that. Jesus doesn't let you do that either. But look at how James addresses this. In chapter 2, verse 10, he says, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Transgressor of the law is is someone who breaks the law. You're a lawbreaker. And a little further on, he says, uh, judgment is without mercy to one who's shown no mercy. Someone who's judging people without mercy, no mercy will be given to you. The self-righteous critic has much too narrow of a view where James says we have to consider God's law as a whole. We shouldn't take a single law or a single issue and put it into its own separate and distinct category and kind of give more weight and importance to it. Uh, remember what Jesus says. If you, if you measure someone against God's law in a single command, a single issue, and because you find them to be a lawbreaker when it comes to that issue, and you would condemn that person, you would judge them as you know, a worse person than you are, and, uh, and exclude them from the grace of God, be prepared to have that same strictness without any mercy applied to yourself. How are you doing when you measure yourself up against God's standard? Like the whole thing, not in a single issue, not in these, these individual things, but, you know, the whole thing. Don't lie. Don't envy. Have you ever envied? Have you ever wanted what someone else had and and felt like you were more deserving of it than they were? Don't commit adultery. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount tells us a lustful thought and desire in your heart. That counts. Don't hold on to anger in your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Like, how are you doing when you measure yourself up against God's law? Where do you fit? Are you, are you a lawkeeper? Are you doing it all perfectly? This is why it's so foolish to self-righteously uh, judge and condemn others acting from a place where you feel like you're better than they are. Because when we get measured against God's law, we all come up short. That's what the word sin means. The word sin means you're, short, you're falling short. You're short of the mark. If you tell people, uh, you know, here's, here's the penalty that you deserve. You deserve condemnation. You deserve judgment because you're a lawbreaker. You're also in the same breath admitting that and applying it to yourself, according to what Jesus says. And we don't think we are because, like, people are, are pretty good at being easier on themselves than they are on others. Like, that's kind of the natural thing for us. We're easier on ourselves than we are on others. We're softer on ourselves. When, when someone else, and especially someone that we don't like, when they make a mistake or they fail, they sin. I don't like calling sin mistakes. Uh, when they sin, we want them to be held accountable in, like, the strictest measure. We want them to be held accountable. When we are guilty of, of a sin and falling short, we start coming up with reasons like, well, I'm under a lot of stress. 
I didn't know the full picture. I was really tired. My wife was yelling at me. Like, we start coming up with things that if they don't absolve us of responsibility entirely, they at least make it so that we're not fully and entirely responsible. And everyone does that to some degree. There's not a good reason. There's not a good excuse for sin. And we don't, we don't want God to hold us to the same standard that we impose on other people, especially other people that we don't like. And he will. This is something everyone does, some more than others. But here's the thing, like, here's where this is such a trap. Like, even if you, uh, the only people that you self-righteously judge and condemn are the people who are self-righteous and judgmental towards others, you know, where you go like, well, at least I don't, you know, hypocritically judge people like they do, and you start feeling like you're better than them. Like, you've fallen into the trap. You just, you're not doing it. You just failed. Judge not that you not be judged. Don't judge hypocritically, self-righteously using a double standard, one for you and an easier one for me. Because God is going to use the same standard to judge all of us. Second part, Jesus says, here's how you should judge. Or here's what your your judgment should look like and here's how you do it. So get the verses back up. Verse 3 Jesus says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's. So Jesus clearly does not mean in this whole block of teaching here that you could never judge anyone in any way, that you could never identify sins or failures or areas of growth in another person. You just have to do it the right way. You have to do it in a manner where you're actually seeing things clearly. And here's the thing. Um, Here's the uncomfortable part of all of this. Even if everyone in your life ignores Jesus' teaching and they're highly critical, and they're, they're ignoring Judge Not, they're highly critical, and they're putting you under the microscope, and they're, they're pulling out all these issues, all these faults in you, which, you know, is not what God wants them to do if they're going to listen to what Jesus says. It's, they're not going about it the way he wants them to. The, the funny thing about truth is, like, it doesn't matter who says it. I mean, it does matter for receiving it, but truth is truth no matter what. Even if the dumbest person in the world is saying something that's true, it doesn't mean that it's not true. Like, I'm not great at math, studied English. But when I say two plus two equals four, that's true. I don't need an advanced degree in mathematics to like make my case that I actually know what I'm talking about. So like, even if it's coming from the nastiest, meanest, most self-righteous person you know, like my mom, no, 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 I'm just kidding. That was, my mom is like the sweetest person you could ever meet, and uh, many of you know that, because you know her, and I, that was just a little bit for shock value, and a little bit to check that you're paying attention. Um, even if it's coming from, like, a really nasty, self-righteous person who's, like, who comes up to me, and this, this person comes up to me, and they go, uh, you know what I see in you? I see that you can be a very selfish person. And I see that you don't pay enough attention to things that you should, 
and I see an ugly pride in you, and I see that you have a problem with patience, and you have a problem with anger, and your forehead's too big, and whatever else is true about me. They start listing off my faults. Truth is truth. And just because I might see in them the very same things they're accusing of in me, it doesn't mean the things they're saying about me are wrong. The second mistake that people make with this first judge not the, the puppy metaphor, um, this mistake characterizes mainly people who are godless. And I don't say that as an insult. I mean godless to, um, to apply to people who just don't care about God. They don't care about listening to what God says, trusting what God says. They don't love God. They don't want to worship God. They don't want to follow him. They want to do what they want to do. They want to make their own way in life. They want to listen to what they think is right, okay? This characterizes them, and what they do is they abuse what Jesus says and judge not in ways that he never intended it to be used, and they, they turn it into a shield to hide behind, to silence any criticism. So they don't have to listen to anyone telling them things they don't want to hear about themselves. Ironically, uh, people who abuse this verse to, uh, to, to silence any criticism against themselves, they're just as self-righteous as the legalistic religious person who is ignoring it and, and judging other people. Because they, they don't want to hear anything um, against themselves. They just want to make their own way and do their own thing and not hear anything contrary to that. Uh, here's what's so awful about using this verse that way, um, to, to keep people from calling out things about you that are true. They're using the words of Jesus who went to the cross to die for our sins, to, to suffer the wrath that we deserve and pay our debts to set us free they're using his words to protect and persist in the very sins that he had to suffer for on the cross. I hope this is where like the puppy metaphor really makes sense and how this is such a violent abuse of Jesus' words. It's spitting in the face of Jesus. To use this verse as a way to shield your sins to keep them, to keep anyone from, from making you feel uncomfortable about these things that Jesus had to suffer on the cross for. And I do want to be clear, this is um, just like non-religious people can be a self-righteous critic, um, religious people can also be guilty of this and hiding behind judge not as a shield. Like we're all, like I said, pretty good at you know, justifying ourselves, defending ourselves, letting ourselves off easy. And the thing that makes this so difficult is, is what Jesus describes here. We tend to be so blind to the faults in ourselves. Uh, we tend to not, it's so much easier to notice things in other people than it is to notice those things in ourselves. Uh, one of the ways that you can kind of notice, see this about yourself, that um, 
you're not applying the same standard to yourself as to others, and, and you, you're kind of deaf to hearing all the things that are trying to call you out. Uh, one of the ways you can see this is if you're reading through your Bible, you're reading through and you get to David, and you're reading David and you go, I can't believe him. You know, I can't believe he'd give in to temptation like that. I can't believe that he would cover up what he did. Like, why wouldn't he just be honest and confess? Like, how could David do that? You read Israel wandering in the wilderness, and you go, like, I can't believe they don't have more faith. Like, look at all the ways that God's showed up for them. Look at all the prayers he's answered. Look at all the amazing things he's done in their lives. And then they, 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 they lack faith, and they complain, and they grumble, and they try to go back to Egypt, and then God shows up for them again, and then the cycle repeats. You go, how on earth could they do this? If you ever find yourselves thinking along those lines as you read through the Bible, you just fail. Judge not that you not be judged. James in uh, chapter 1 tells us that scripture is like a mirror. It's something where we get to see the truth about ourselves in it. David's failure, his falling to temptation, his uh, attempt to cover it up, Israel's lack of faith in their complaining and their grumbling, that's me. Like those things are all in me. That's what I should be seeing when I, like, I'm not better than them. I'm not going, how could they do that? I'm going, oh, I do that too. How are we supposed to, uh, how are we supposed to give the true judgment that Jesus wants us to give in the way that he wants us to? How can we do that? He tells us. In verse 5, take the log out of your own eye first, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Two things we have to do. The first is to acknowledge the log in our own eyes. And this is like the very basics of being a Christian. This is part of the foundation that the Christian life, the Christian faith, it's all built on this. You have to start from a place where you admit and you confess and you acknowledge, I'm a sinner. I don't measure up to God's standard. I've, I've rejected his standard. I've rejected him. I don't trust God and what he says. I've tried to do it on my own. I'm, I'm the lawbreaker. I've sinned. I've seen the effects of my sin. I've seen the, the brokenness it caused, the pain, the, the guilt, and the regret. I see all of that. That's where you have to start. And just because it's where you start, it doesn't mean that you ever leave it behind. You know, when you become a Christian, you go from being a sinner to being a sinner who's saved by grace. It's so important to acknowledge where, where you can understand, because I'm a sinner, I know this about myself. I know that I'm capable of being wrong. I know that I'm capable of of not seeing things clearly and having things in my life that I'm blind to, things I'm not aware of. So like, I love the illustration Jesus uses here. Like you can so clearly see like this little speck of dust in someone else's eye. And meanwhile, you have like a pencil like sticking out of your eye and, and you don't, you're not aware of it. And so if someone 
tells you something, if they confront you about something, even if they're annoying, and even if you can see things clearly in them that maybe they're not seeing about themselves, you don't, you don't have to get defensive. You have to listen. You have to consider if the thing they're telling you is actually the truth. Charles Spurgeon, he's my, my favorite preacher, he says, if any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him for you are worse than he thinks you to be. Like, you're worse. Like anyone who thinks badly of you, they don't know the true depths of the brokenness and the sin that's in your heart, right? You're, you're worse than anyone thinks you are. That's the basics of being a Christian. Basics does not mean it's easy. This is a step of humility and contrition and owning your sin and owning your failures, where you, ha- you have to let go. You have to let go of, you know, projecting an image that you have it all together and that you're all right and there's nothing wrong. It's not an easy step to take. It's, I mean, it's not an easy thing to admit this awareness about yourself. It's something God helps us with. The Holy Spirit helps us with this. One of the ways the Holy Spirit might help you to become aware of your, your sin and your brokenness and your need to, to be helped, to, to get someone to come in and help, is, uh, you know, seeing it through God's Word, reading through it on yourself, or listening to the preaching of God's Word. Uh, maybe that's one of the ways that He makes you aware of the sin that's in your own life. Um, sometimes you see the effects of it in real time. And, and it, it's, a, it's too late, but then you, you become aware of it. You see, oh my gosh, I do have a problem with my anger. Look at what my anger's doing. I do have a problem with, with my, my need to gossip. Look at the trust that's been broken. I have a problem with my drinking. Look at all the, the damage that this has been causing. You see the effects of it, and the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to finally acknowledge this is something that's wrong. That's one of the ways. One of the ways the Holy Spirit does this that's a real blessing is that he makes us aware through the people that he's put in our lives and they just tell us because they care about us. And, and they, you know, you can choose to receive it or to get defensive and, and try to reject it. But this is one of the reasons it's so important. It's such a blessing to have people who are close to you. They know you. They know your, your heart, they know what's going on in your life, and they have that trust that, that they can confront you about things, and you can do the same for them. That's a real blessing that is found in the church and in community. The first step is to acknowledge the, the log that is in your own eye. Maybe this is the step that some of you are struggling with today. Maybe it's maybe you've been confronted with it, but you're just not ready to admit, you're not ready to acknowledge there's a deep brokenness and and problem and failure within yourself. But I hope that you would have the courage to acknowledge it so that you can move forward. Because if you don't, you could be stuck where you are for a a pretty long time, and there's, there's no freedom in being stuck there. Once you're aware of your sin, 
you know about the log in your own eye, that's when you get to move to step two, which is to remove it from your eye. This is a step of repentance. Repentance involves making change in your life and putting your trust in Jesus and the work that Jesus has done for you. It's not enough to just like feel bad about your sin, to acknowledge and admit your sin, and then just kind of be in a place where you're, you're sad and you're upset about it. Uh, the Apostle Paul tells us about two different kinds of remorse over sin. So 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, he says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Worldly grief produces death. So the, the wages of sin is death. Even though there's remorse over your sin, it still leads to the same place because there hasn't been any actual change. Uh, godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. This is a grief that's over the sin itself. Like the, the way that makes sense to me uh, the most to differentiate um, the worldly grief is when you are sorry that you've been caught. Like you've been caught, you've been exposed, and because it's come out and you didn't come forward with it yourself, it, you know, there's all these consequences from it, and you feel bad about the consequences, and you feel bad about the people who've been hurt now that they know, but if it was never exposed, you would still feel pretty comfortable continuing on in what you were doing. You were fine with it as long as it was secret. That's the, the worldly grief that leads to death. Godly grief is when you hate the sin itself. You, you hate that I, I hate that this is in me, that I did this. I hate that this grieves the heart of God. I, I hate that, um, that this is not the way that God wants me to live. I can't honor him with my life this way. I just want to get rid of it. And so you be proactive in it, and, and you don't wait to be found out. You go and you confess to people that you're close to, and you confess it to God, and you pray, and you make changes in your life. Like, as soon as you become aware of your sin, you're, you start fighting it. Repentance is turning away from your sin, and so, like, if your sin is drinking, I'm not going to go to the bar anymore. I'm going to clean out my house. I'm going to make changes in my life to turn away from the sin. But it's not just turning away from your sin, it's also turning towards Jesus. It's turning towards Jesus going, only you can help me with this. Only you can do something about this. Only you can forgive me. Only you can pay the debt. I love the, the verse that James writes directly after what we had just read before in chapter two. He says this, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. See, the real thing that pulls the plank out of your eye, the real thing that removes your sin from you, is that in Jesus, you are judged under the law of liberty where you receive his mercy. That's good news. This is the good news, the gospel of Jesus, that he sees you so much more clearly than you see yourself. Like all the things that you're blind to in yourself, Jesus is not blind to them. You're worse than, than the people who criticize you think you are. Jesus knows exactly how you are. He sees you. He sees what's in your heart. He sees your sin. 
and he has mercy on you because he loves you. Rather than simply imposing on us the judgment that we deserve for how we failed to measure up to the standard God gives us, which we deserve, instead of doing that, Jesus goes to the cross to take your place. And Jesus on the cross receives the judgment that you deserve. It's like all the logs of sin that are stuck in your own eyes that you can't see, those are all driven into Jesus at the cross. He pays the debt that we owe that we can't afford to pay. He forgives us. He sets us free. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We can have life in him because he died for us. That, if you're a Christian, that's what's happened for you. That's what Jesus has done for you. And that is why if you follow Jesus, he will not allow you to judge others without the same grace and love and patience and mercy that he has shown you. Judge not does not mean that uh, sin doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that we never mention it or confront someone with God's truth, but it does mean the way we do it as to approach people the way Jesus approaches us. It means that we share the truth with love and with grace and with patience, pointing people to the hope that we have in Jesus. Maybe some of you are stuck on the second step here, repenting, trusting in Jesus. And, and I'd like to encourage you, if, if you've already come to a place where you've acknowledged your sin and your need for help, but then you're stuck on this step because you think, um, like, I don't think I'm, I'm worthy, I don't think I deserve help, I don't think I deserve mercy. Go to him. You can go to him, you can ask for help. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. You need to make the decision to trust him, to trust what he's done for you, to forgive you, to change your heart and change your life. Now, Jesus has one more piece of wisdom for us here. Um, so, you know, before you all head home from here and you start judging people, because, you know, you're on fire to start judging people. Um, it's a good thing Jesus gives us the wisdom that we get at the end because it can keep you from getting into some trouble that you're not meant to get in. And so this is verse six, chapter seven, verse six. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Uh, just two things for context here to understand the warning that Jesus is giving us. One, in Jewish culture, dogs were not really kept as pets. Um, dogs for them were like raccoons for us, except, you know, they'd be out in the daytime and they don't have little hands and the burglar mask. Um, but like the same thing, because they're scavengers, you know, they're, they're pests, um, they could attack you. I had a raccoon once get into my mom's garage when I was in, living uh, at her house, and uh, like I, I went to like try and shoo it out, and it like it ran at me. I had to use the golf club and get it out. Like, 
the dogs were not nice, you know, man's best friend. Like, we all love dogs. They didn't. Um, and so to call someone a dog, it had like the symbolic meaning that you're calling them uh, ignorant, you're calling them uh, immoral, barbaric. Like, it, it's a degrading thing to call someone. Second piece of context for this verse is, according to Old Testament law, pigs are unclean animals. And they were scavengers. Pigs will eat anything. I saw that, um, I guess it was like the sequel to the Silence of the Lambs movie. And like, you're, don't go watch it. But if you've seen it already, like you know the part I'm talking about and you have the same misgivings about pigs that I do. Um, where like, okay, they'll, they'll eat anything, and um, they have a big appetite. And so you can imagine what would happen if the pig is hungry, and they're expecting food from you, and you give them a pearl, which is valuable, but they can't eat it. Like, that's going to antagonize the pigs. This verse is a warning to Christians. Uh, don't waste your time or invite people to harass you when they're already obviously hostile to you. It's important to share the truth in love. That's like one of the most important things we can do. And that's a command. Like God's word tells us, go share the truth in love. However, there's a difference between sharing the truth with people who are receptive to it and unwisely poking people with the truth when you have good reason to believe they may be hostile to you because of it. Just because you see sin in someone else's life, it does not mean that you need to make a beeline to that person and tell them about it. Um, it, In love and telling them about Jesus, like you don't, um, especially if it's someone you don't know them, they don't know you, they might not know anything about the gospel, and now the first kind of experience they're getting is like being judged out of nowhere and they don't really know how to handle that. It feels like an attack. Um, I don't want you going home today and just like judging everyone to their faces. Like, Don't do that. I feel like most of you are not going to have a problem with that. If you are going to have a problem with that, let's do some counseling. Um, It's important for everyone to hear the truth but some people have heard the truth and they've hardened their heart to the truth and they've shown you what you can expect if you keep poking them with the truth again and again and again. For them, if this is someone you know that they they have heard the truth and they've shown you their stance on it, for them, you don't need to keep poking them with the truth and telling them, you need to change, this is what's wrong with you, trust in Jesus, Just pray for them. Pray for them. Show them kindness. Show them the love of Christ. Wait for God to change something in their hearts or in their lives, but you don't need to invite this antagonistic relationship when you could honestly be better and more wisely spending your time sharing the truth and love to people who are receptive. And maybe that's where you are today. Sometimes they show up in church and like you're, you're the person who like you just don't respond well. Like someone dragged you here. You hate that they dragged you here. You don't want to be in church. 
and you have this antagonistic attitude about faith and about Jesus and about the, the notion that there could be something wrong in you, there could be something that needs to be forgiven in you, that you actually need salvation. And if that is you today, first of all, glad you're here. Jesus is the one who is trying to reach out to you right now and extend to you something that is holy. He's trying to give you this pearl of great value. He's telling you that although you are a sinner, you are also loved, you can be forgiven, you can be embraced. His mercy can triumph over the judgment that you deserve. And I hope that you would just consider it. I hope that you would just think about what if this is true? What if Jesus is real? He really went to the cross for me. I really can be forgiven and have the hope of eternal life. I hope that you would be humbled to that offer today. Let me pray for us.